0: Good morning, church family, and no, you didn't get it wrong or need to adjust your glasses. Luke is back, and uh, we are at zero days on our countdown, and uh, just so you're aware, it's like part A, part B, that uh, this was on Luke's heart. He was right there, now he moved, but this was on Luke's heart to come back and uh, lead us in communion. So this part A that I'm doing is going to lead your hearts through God's Word to be able to partake. So before we partake is the name of the message, and then Luke will come up. And uh, he's got, so you get two messages today. Okay, five of you are happy about that. Okay. Uh, Before Luke left, uh, he said the best advice I could have heard. Uh, He might not have known this, but he said, just be yourself. And you guys still want me here, okay that's what's comforting uh for me, and you know what? I want to tell you out of all of these um, sermons, these months and days, uh, I just realized this morning, um, so I'm going to try and tell you this ten minutes ago what i'm going to miss the most, um, my daughter in the back praying for me um, in my ear, uh, and she prayed. Lord, my dad is the pencil, and you're in his hands. And um, I'm going to miss that the most. So when you see me back there crying, <laughs> and then, uh, but that's my daughter praying for me before I come up and preach, and then I was praying for her as she's down serving with 30 preschoolers. So <laughs> I think she needs more prayer than I do. Uh, so uh, Communion Sunday is a blessed time that we get to worship together Uh, it is a time of unity of the church it's a command of Jesus Christ he has two for the church be baptized right I'm just going to say that one more time be baptized to be sunk into the Holy Spirit the Father and Jesus to just dive into them be baptized and the second one is when you do this do this in remembrance of him this is a command So, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 11, and Paul kind of unpacks uh, this, the Lord's Supper, for us, and then he talks about ways in which we are to partake. So, let's stand, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and on. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed When we, are, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your truth, your word, and Lord, your commands to your people to do this in remembrance of you. Father, thank you for these precious moments of real life coming before you in worship and awe and reverence of the true love that you have for sinners, for broken people, for those who are destitute. Your love steps in and rescues, restores, Thank you for loving us and sending us Jesus. Help our hearts to prepare even now. And just the thoughts of partaking of the divine. Which is you. Your sacrifice, your love. Lord, it's amazing. Thank you for being such an awesome father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Paul is preaching, well, I say Paul is preaching, I'm preaching, but Paul is writing to the Corinthians in Corinth, and to kind of grasp what he's talking about, uh, he's talking to them about their culture, and some of the backdrop of their culture is very similar, maybe mirroring our culture, and he challenges them to disassociate, divorce, separate from the culture, and to serve one another. Now, some of the history I'm going to share with you about just Corinth is wonderful to hear, but I don't want to bore you with that, but I want you to take it in as, man, this seems like our day, so compare. The thing that was happening in Corinth was idol worship. They had uh, churches set up to all sorts of Greek gods. Now, some of those were Apollo. some of those uh, were gods that, Um, demanded so much of them that Corinth in itself, the church, is trying to separate itself out, okay? Now, some of the uh, gods um, were more popular than the other because the town had a really high mountain, and on that was a temple to Aphrodite's, no, I said it wrong, Aphrodite's, and they had a thousand prostitutes that would disperse into the city at night. And just whatever, gross, right? So I don't have to go any further in telling you, Paul's going to take this on. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about how to disass... You have to honor marriage. I mean, he goes into some great uh, details in the first chapters, and I won't give you verses, but just in some of the chapters, as he's taking on their culture... Some of the other things, there was a God of uh, hygiene. This is where we get our name, hygiene of cleanliness. And if they got healed and they prayed to this God, let's say you had a sore on your finger, okay? You would actually make a model of that and leave it at the temple. And they're like finding tumor. Yeah, okay. Maybe it's just cool to me. I don't know. I like grossology. There is a Bible called that. Okay, okay, so... All of this, I want to tell you that Paul even addresses in Philippians 3.19, he says the, these folks are, have a little g-god of their appetite. Do you hear that? Little g-gods that are all about a carnal appetite. So if you want to worship this, uh, then okay, worship that. If, I mean, whatever you want to do, you could build a god to it and just do that. Does that sound familiar like a culture that we know? You can just do whatever you want to do. You're your own God. It's about self. It's it's about self-gratification. It's about self. It's about pleasure. And he addresses it. They just have gods of their own consuming. I can tell you, I'm guilty. Falling into that idol worship here in the mindset of just, I'm going to take, and that's the type of uh, culture that is displayed to our young men, that you're a type of good man, whatever you can take and whatever you can get. And Jesus changed that. He says, no, you're a good man in what you can give and what you can serve. He, so, all right. He takes on the idols. He takes on their culture. And then he challenges the church to divorce from the culture and come in and serve one another. It's, it's the same challenge we need. And so Paul starts to address this in the church. He starts, and I'm going to go to chapter 3. It, just read the heading. It says in there, the divisions in the church. So right away, he's, this is their culture. It's all outside the door. He comes into the church, and he's like, listen up, folks. There's divisions right here. And he, I like the way he says it, and Kevin says this a lot. There was factions for Apollos, which was a convert from John the Baptist. There's factions for Peter, and then there's Paul. They were just in love with Paul. They only wanted to hear Paul. And then there was, give us Jesus and Jesus only. And they were all segregating themselves in divisions. of. And Paul just says, listen, didn't all of us just serve you to get you to the Lord? Don't put us any higher. We're just servants. It's the same mindset that I've heard uh, through these last three months. Is like, oh, I enjoy it when Austin preaches. Or I, and you know what? We can have our preferences. We can have our different. But here it is. We're all just servants on staff leading you to Jesus. Bill Allison would say the same thing. Some of you, we've loved Bill Allison through this time. But It's like we're not going to start a faction of this is Bill or nothing, right? It's all about Jesus. So right away, he directs it. He's like, all right, church, get this out of here. It's about serving Jesus. It's about Jesus alone. And then the next one, uh, he talks about the ministry of the apostles. Chapter 5, he jumps right into it to the grossness outside the doors. Sexual immorality. He says sexual immorality actually defiles the church defiles the church. It's not just your marriage. It's not just your men. It's not just your ladies. It is the church of Jesus Christ. And he says it in five, but then he goes on in six and readdresses it again. And he's like, hey, don't you know that your bodies are not your own? You've been bought with a price, right? He goes on to say, hey, don't you know that for you to present yourself to a prostitute is like, Jesus giving his body to a prostitute? Whoa. Do you hear that? Paul says that. He says, don't you know? And that's their culture right outside their doors. Do you got me? Every night. That's their culture. Don't take your bodies and give them off to things. All of those things for appetite. Philippians says it. It leads to destruction. Come to Christ. So then he goes on, chapter 6, it does say, never, exclamation point, Paul answers the question. He says, never should you give your body like that. Chapter 8, it goes on, it says, now let's talk about food sacrificed to idols. And I'm just reading the heading. And how many temples were there where they were sacrificing to these false little g gods? Just full. And now they're quarreling and asking questions. Should we meet from there? Should we uh, partake of anything of the temple? And he goes in those regulations, and I won't preach that sermon too. But chapter 9, then, he talks about all of this is divorce the culture, yield your rights. Chapter 9, Paul talks about yielding himself completely, All of his rights, everything he was, a Roman citizen, everything, Pastor Luke's Sunday school class talked about it like he's the pedigree of pedigree of Hebrews, and he considers all of that trash just to know Christ. And 1 Corinthians 9.19 says it this way. He says, though I am free from all men, yet I turn and serve to gain the more. Did you hear that? Where, where do you think Paul got that? That he's free from all men, yet he humbles himself, he yields himself, and he goes and serves to gain them for Christ. Who do you think modeled that? There you go. Eight o'clock didn't get it. You guys get a sticker. I have them. I'll pass them out. Okay. Jesus modeled this church. It should be our motto, and I love the motto. It should be ours. I am free from everybody. I am free. There is no law against me. I am Christ. Yet I turn submissively, humble myself, and serve just to win them for Christ. It's a good motto. Chapter 10. He tackles them again. He warns them against idolatry. He warns them against idolatry. And then he even takes on what I didn't tell you is in this Corinth town, they have the original Olympic Games. All right? They have wrestling, boxing. They have running. Who's in track? Where's my track? They run. There's track and there's chariot races. Because the Roman soldiers, when they retired, this was the town they came to. And I mean, they're in, it's like the original Olympics, wrestling, boxing. And Paul starts taking on even the culture outside their doors. And he says, listen, he says in chapter 11, he takes, or chapter 11, he takes them on and he says, there's a warning against idolatry. Do all for the glory of God. And he says, everybody that runs, runs for a wreath that fades away. We run for a wreath that never dies. We run for Christ. He's taking on the very culture right there in Corinth. He also says he doesn't box like beating the air. He boxes to discipline his body so he's not disqualified for running and discipline of Christ. To stay with Christ. Paul takes on the culture again. Divorce, the culture. It's destruction. It's empty appetite. Serve one another. And in 11, he goes into head coverings. This is the best interpretation. Head coverings are keeping men and women separate. That's what it is. Women covered Their head, long hair. They had coverings. Men don't. They're the glory of God, and women are the glory of men, so they're private and save it for their husbands. I'm not telling you women to put a scarf on. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, we don't need to blend them. God made one, and God made the other, and he made them unique. And the family unit needs them both. We are not alike, I tell you what. Okay, I won't go any further. (laughs) I'll get in trouble. All right. And then chapter 11 that we read, Paul takes on the church and the Lord's Supper. This is what they were doing. They, they were treating it like a class, like a, of higher-ups or, or goody-two-shoes. They were treating it in a way that the, some people would come in, and their servants would have to serve at this meal. They used to call it a love feast. They did away with that because it was blending with their culture. Like, nope, get that gone. So the the rich people would come in and eat all the food and they'd just be stuffed and then there was nothing left for the poor and they'd come in and be like, hey, why aren't we celebrating communion together? And then another one would just come in and get drunk and Paul's like, listen, don't you have homes to eat in? Don't you know that when you come together to celebrate this, there's a certain thing you should do? That's what we're going to unpack. The church had to learn this. And so it says for eating in chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says he received from the Lord what he delivered to you. And he goes through what Jesus did on the night. And if you look at verse 25, it says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood at the end of it. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26. And he repeats it, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right there, uh, there's a place to look. Warren Weersby says it this way. The Lord gives us places to look before we partake. So I'm going to grab my, my communion cup. Right here, the Bible tells us that before we partake, or when we partake, or we're about to, we are to look back. What has the Lord done for you? Where has the Lord rescued you from? Amen. You don't have to answer it out loud, but I like that. Think about that. Look back. What did Jesus do for you? Thinking that he left glory, the throne, the beauty, heaven, perfection, the Father, his greatest love was his dad, and he left all that to be born in a manger for me? Isaiah 53 says he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. We despised and rejected him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he had to suffer and endure such shame and such horribleness for a sinner named Seth Bowker And he did it for the whole world. To rescue every soul that believes. When we come to partake, look back. What did he do for you? He did the same. Think of the muck and the mire that he rescued me from. What great love. Church, when we come together, it says when we do this, remember. Look back. Remember his death. Remember his sufferings, his great love. And then the same verse it says, When you do this, do this in remembrance of me until I come. So the next thing before we partake, remember he came and then look forward. You look back what he did and look forward. Where are we going, church? We're headed to glory. We're just passing by. I'm just a pilgrim. I've got a place with a mansion. I well, I've got a place that is a mansion. I got a place in heaven. I got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Way beyond the blue. That's me being myself. Thank you. All right. You don't want me to keep singing. You guys, where are we going? Church What precious gift do we have to share with the whole world? (laughs) I remember the first time I got to give out communion. I was on a spiritual retreat weekend. They found out I was in my first year of seminary. And so they're having communion and they did a certain type of communion, which is intinction, and everybody comes up to partake. Tear the bread, dip the cup. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just praying, Lord, I just want to serve you. I just want to know you. I just want to love you. And, and thinking of all of this meant to me, and they called my name. And I'm like, what are, I don't even know what I'm doing. What are we doing? And they're like, just hold this cup. <sighs> to know that I got to give out Jesus. every single person in front of me I get to hand out Jesus (laughs) the excitement wasn't just about the people taking communion it's the motto I'm free from all men yet I'm gonna turn and serve them to gain the more for Jesus because that's what Jesus did for me he came and washed my feet he washed my sins he washed it all because I know that without him I got nothing (laughs) ready to give it away. So church, we look back, we look forward, and then the next thing, Paul, and the word of God tells us in 28, let a person examine himself. Examine, you look within. Before you partake, look within. (laughs) Right as soon as I start And I've heard this from a wee lad, which means boy, growing up, examine yourself. I remember hearing, yeah, some of you have gotten sick. Some of you have died because you just wouldn't examine yourself. And I didn't even know what that meant. You know, you're just looking at your hands like, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. But I didn't know it was in my heart. It was in my obedience. It was in my head. What are my thoughts? What are my attitudes? And right away, a whole list starts coming down my head. The Bible says, Jesus tells us there's two great commands. Hangs all the law and all the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two. Line yourself up with that. How are we doing? Jesus says, love others, the person in front of you. As he would love them. I start comparing myself to Jesus. It doesn't stop. He says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her, he washed her with the word, he purified her. Husbands, are you loving your wife? Am I loving my wife? Only through Jesus can I actually obtain that. Wives, are you respecting your husbands? And husbands and wives, mutual submission to each other out of reverence for Jesus. Mutual. It doesn't stop. Children, young people, young people listen up. Honoring your father and mother, obeying them. I know it's hard, but you can through Jesus. Mothers, fathers, love your children. Teach your children about God. Teach them all your ways. When they rise up, teach them. When they lay down, teach them. When they're at the table, teach them. When they're walking on the road, teach them. Teach them about Him. Man, I start to examine myself, and I don't know. I'm giving you my examination. How are you guys doing with mine? thankful that i can confess and he's faithful and just to forgive me i am thankful that he still pours his spirit into me to get up and keep trying i always get this verse wrong but proverbs it's either 24 16 or 16 24 look it up for yourself a just man falls seven times just man a good one A righteous one will still fall, and yet he gets back up. Here's how we get back up. We remember that we can all be washed. We can all be reset. We can all be restored. We can all be renewed. We can all be at a new, fresh beginning in a mercy by yielding and bowing before God and just confessing. What I love is confession really means I just agree with you, God. You see all the flaw in me, and I agree with you that you saw that. I'm not getting anything by him. I'm just finally getting on his team. Examine yourself. Steve's going to come up and have just a quiet intermission where we do get to examine ourselves, to take a quiet time, and then Luke will come and lead us At the end of his message in communion. But there's one more place. Grab your cups and be ready eventually. But the Bible tells us to look back. What did Christ do? Look forward. What do you have? Look within. Examine yourself. And then, church, look around. This is our family. This is us in unity proclaiming Jesus Christ's death until he comes together. And church, divorce the culture. Don't be after self. Serve one another in love as Christ told us to, commanded us to. Father, we thank you for this time to examine ourselves. To get our hearts before you and to know that you love us right where we are. Thank you for not telling us to be perfect to come to you, but to be broken, to be willing, to be obedient, to be ready to receive. Lord, we come before you because, as your word says, there is no other way for salvation. It's Jesus. It's his blood. It's his body given for the world. So, Lord, we worship you. We affirm that our faith is in you. And that, Lord, all of our hope for our future hope in you is through your blood, the washing and regeneration. Thank you for your spirit that seals and guarantees that we are your children. Thank you for that guarantee. We love you and thank you for speaking to each heart here as we come before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take some time as Steve plays.
1: Well, it's really good to be back here with you. Um, Thank you for the time uh, that you've given to me and Molly and our kids uh, to go and and, uh, spend a little time in refreshing, coming back. Uh, I guess I should thank you for letting me come back. Um, Going away, I guess, (laughs) maybe. But it's been really good. And we've been in a lot of different churches I was thinking about this. we have been in, in a lot of churches that are a lot bigger. Went to a lot of churches that are a 1,000 or more. But none better. <laughs> and I was like, oh, should I say that? Maybe that's a little... So if you're from another church, just... Sorry, but... This is a really special church. And... Um, really thankful for our staff, really thankful for our volunteers and just our church body. I was looking through the attendance uh, over the last three months to see, you know, where we've been and kind of hoping that it would have dipped a little bit more than it did. Um, (laughs) But not really, not really. I mean, our church is just so healthy. It's amazing to me. Um, because it's the spirit of God and the people of God, and uh, it's such a wonderful thing to be part of this body. And I, I thank you, um, because it really is special to me um, to have that fellowship. When you're on sabbatical, you know you're kind of like the Israelites in the 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 years of wandering. You're you're. You're like an exile. You're just going from place to place, and you don't really exactly fit in anywhere. Um, but this is home, and this is family, and this is, um, this is fellowship. And so, you know, I told Seth in uh, early service that it was on my heart when I came back that I would lead us in a time of communion um, to kind of enjoy that fellowship to in some ways reestablish it. Um, The word communion means fellowship. Um, The word Eucharist, how many of you are familiar with the word Eucharist? It's another word for communion. But uh, what that word literally means, translated, is thanksgiving. So you have fellowship and you have thanksgiving, and they point to the Lord's Supper, that we are... Enjoying a time of fellowship with the Lord and we're enjoying a time of fellowship with each other um, and we're thankful for that and so the thing that Seth has been talking about this morning with first uh, Corinthians eleven um, points to one aspect of that fellowship there's a there's another aspect of it so there are two disqualifying elements to communion meaning that there are there are two things that if either one of them is is not happening in your life, you shouldn't take the elements. You should let it pass by. You should pause and, and maybe take it at a different time. But um, the first one comes from Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had come down and there were 120 believers gathered together uh, in the upper room. They were meeting where they had last met with Jesus, and so they were still meeting there. Um, but they uh, had the Holy Spirit come down, and they began to speak in, in other languages. They went out to the temple, and they began to preach the gospel and, and tell all the people about Jesus. And, and 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. They received him by faith uh, through their message. And it says, uh, chapter 241, those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, so 120 uh, is the original church, and 3,000 were added to that. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so the first part is that as soon as they became a church body, as soon as they had fellowship with God, they began to study the scripture. What, what does the Bible have to say? And, and began to uh, really commit themselves, to devote themselves to learning and understanding and gathering that kind of knowledge and, and uh, uh, deepen their faith and maturity. And so They began to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they had fellowship with one another. They began to celebrate communion, and they began to pray together. But the first qualifying mark for communion is faith. The first disqualifying mark is unbelief. If you don't Put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't have fellowship with God. Communion is a celebration. It's a a memorial, but it's a celebration of the reality that you know God. He knows you. You have fellowship with him. There's no break in that fellowship because you have received the sacrifice that he offered to you, his son Jesus. That there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And the blood that was needed was perfect blood. It was shed on the cross. And that when you put your trust in Jesus, then God promises that as soon as that happens, then you have connection with God. And that's what communion is. It's, it's a celebration of the connection, the fellowship, the relationship, the redeeming, the promise, the power, and the hope that I am now a new creature in Christ. His blood flows through me, and I know him. And I love him, and we're related, and somehow we've been eternally connected by faith. We celebrate that. And so what happened in the early church, it looks like, was they were breaking bread together. This is kind of a weird little thing, but, you know, we get together every other month, you know, the uh, even months of the year. So it is, in First Baptist Church, it's a little bit hard to figure out when we're going to do communion, You just kind of show up and then it happens, right? In the early church, what was likely happening was that every time they were getting together, every time that they were not only worshiping, but every time they were getting together as Christians and eating, they were remembering that breaking of bread means the body and the blood of Jesus. Why do you and I as Christians pause before every meal and pray? Thank you, Lord, for this food. Yes, we're thanking God for the provision. But I think in the early church, what had happened was that this became such a, a prominent part of remembering that I'm related to God because of what Jesus did for me, that it was as if they were celebrating communion every time they sat down to a meal. And they didn't get the wine out and they didn't get the special, you know, little loaves. I don't think. I think they just were, let's pause and celebrate the fact that I have fellowship with God. And together we have a common faith and a common purpose and a belief that we can celebrate this together. and We can thank the Lord for our food every time we get together and eat. So the first disqualifying issue is unbelief. But the second one is what we see in 1 Corinthians 11, which is that the fellowship that you begin by faith, it is a saving faith and it is permanent. But there's a relationship that can be broken. Things get in the way of that relationship. Sin gets in the way of that relationship. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 is that you need to examine yourself, and uh, what's happening in the church is that people are getting sick, some of them are, are dying, they're actually eating and drinking judgment on themselves, and uh, it's it's beneficial in some way that you you experience judgment in this life so that you don't experience judgment eternally. And part of what that means is that you're saved permanently. And so you have this hope that when I die I go to heaven, but in your life when you disregard God's plan for your life and you knowingly rebelliously sin and don't care what God has to say about it, and yet you take this bread and you eat it as if everything is all cool with you and God. And you don't examine your heart. You don't let God judge what's going on with your life, and he's going to bring judgment to you. Some will get sick. Some will die. Uh, That's a teaching that. Most people today don't want to hear. Would you agree? You mean I have to obey? I have to let God examine my life on a regular basis? Every time we sit down to a meal, this is what I would hope. Every time we sit down to eat, that we would pause and say, God, is there, thank you for this, but is there anything that is wrong in my heart, my mind, my life, my words, my attitude, my relationships that you want to reveal to me? That we would live a life that is, repentant so that we can have constant fellowship with God. The early church seemed to be doing that. Paul is reminding them, here are two disqualifying things. Unbelief, if you don't believe in Jesus, don't take communion. Number two, if you're not willing to examine your heart and let God show you where you're sinning, don't take communion. Because what you're saying is, God, please judge me in my life. But what he promises is that if you will pause for that moment and say, God, examine my heart. The forgiveness, the redemption, the restoration is instantaneous. You don't have to go out and do some good works. You don't have to pay money. You don't have to try to somehow, you know. Put yourself through pain and suffering in order to get to that point. All the pain and suffering, all the payment has been paid already by Jesus Christ. Amen? You say, I just have to recognize it. And the beautiful thing is that if you've, put your faith in Jesus, then the promise of the Holy Spirit is in you, which means that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts you. So when you pause and say, Lord, would you reveal something? It's the Holy Spirit who is going to reveal it and he's going to show you and and all you have to do is agree with him. You don't have to try to drum up something. You don't have to try to think of it. You don't have to try to figure it out. It's the Holy Spirit will show it to you and you just say, you're right. Please forgive me. And immediately you're forgiven. The, it's the gospel. It's not just salvation. It's also a permanent relationship with God that is daily, moment by moment. So, 1 Corinthians is where we hear this. Paul repeats it. He learned it. He learned it from Jesus, which is very interesting when you understand that Paul spent some years with Jesus telling him all about the gospel, his life, and all the things that happened. Paul says, here's what happened on that last night when uh, Jesus was betrayed. He said that he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He said, "This this is my body, which is for you. And so he says, before you celebrate that, just examine your heart. Just pause and pray. So let's do that now. Lord Jesus, uh, we've had a, a time, we've had a moment to celebrate our fellowship. Lord, we don't want to take it for granted. We come before you um, knowing, absolutely knowing that, that we are flawed people that make mistakes, we do wrong things, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. We, uh, we don't understand everything, we don't know everything but we have a gift. We have many gifts. (laughs) We have your word that teaches us who you are and what you want. And then we have your Holy Spirit that brings that understanding of your word to us. And so, Lord, I, I pray right now, if there's anything, like David said, if there's anything in me that's wrong, would you show me? Create in me A new heart, and Lord, I I thank you that we have these promises. Lord, it's not somebody's opinion; it's not uh, my my idea versus anybody else's. Lord, your word promises that if we will confess, you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will forgive. It is that is your promise to us. You will forgive. But we have to agree with you, Lord, and I pray that right now, if there's anything in our hearts, anything in our lives needs to be confessed, Lord, we would just do that now. Just admit it. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for restoring us. Thank you for the promise that you can still use us. In Jesus' name, amen. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you again. Your word says that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And that you poured out your blood on the cross. That you were the Passover lamb that we needed. That when that blood was posted on the doorposts and the, uh, the angel passed over, saw that, and it was protection from judgment. It was protection uh, from the, the requirement of the law. The law has been fulfilled The blood has been paid, and Lord, we by faith receive it, and we are different. We're not just covered, we're also infused. We're new, we're different people, we're creatures that have been transformed. Our minds are different, our lives are different, our hearts are different, our futures are different. Our spirits are somehow intermingled with your Holy Spirit. It's a mystery, we don't quite understand, but we we accept it, we receive it, we thank you for it. We thank you for the blood that was paid in order to make that possible. And then we pray that as we are different, Lord, help us to live different. Help us to be seen as different in this world, Lord, that others might see, hear, understand there's something unique, something valuable and precious, the relationship with with you has, offers, gains. Lord, help us to share that for your glory, for others' sake, Lord, and for ours, in Jesus' name. Amen. So after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and he shared with his disciples that it was the cup of a new covenant, they had been in a covenant with God uh, already through the Old Testament, through their Jewish culture, nation, religion, but this is a new covenant. It's, it's a little different. It's more powerful. It's more potent. It's more permanent. Um, it's more accessible. Everybody, anybody who will put their faith in Jesus is in a permanent Lifelong and eternity long relationship with God based on what He did. And so He says, This is the blood of a new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink, ye all of it. I'm going to have our band come up. Father, we we thank you again. Every every week we come together and we open your word and, and we have fellowship with each other and we pray and we sing and we're just in awe. We're amazed that you love us so much. We return thanks for that. We we give you praise for it. Um, we want to know more about it, how to let it sink deeper into our hearts, how to reflect it better to those around us, how to let it change uh, our home dyman- dynamics, how, how it can um, bring us out of wrong thoughts, even wrong feelings, Lord. How, how to let the Christian life, the spirit of Christ, just have more and more power, more and more influence in us and through us, Lord. We thank you that we celebrate it. Help us to celebrate it, not just once a week or even once every other month. <laughs> every, every time we sit down to a meal, help us to remember the fellowship that we have with you power of that in Jesus name. Amen.